I'm Susan. And I'm Rodney. And this is The Darker Side of Things. This week, Susan is going to be presenting today, and uh, I think I should hand it over to her. Thank you for that marvelous introduction. (laughs) Sorry. Another Um, beautiful day I just spent stacking this. (laughs) Another glorious morning. No. (laughs) This is actually, it's a pretty sad tale, and all kidding aside. Yeah. Um. It's a it's a very dark tale. Of, um, so trigger warning ahead of time. Um, it's about child abuse and um, it has a sexual um, component to it. It's mature audiences are advised. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's it's pretty dark. Um, so before we get to the story, I just wanted to say that uh, we were actually going to record yesterday, um, but a we were supposed to get some pretty bad storms, yeah. and uh, we didn't. We my brother and I live almost an hour apart from each other, and we didn't want him out driving in it, uh, get stuck in case you know, because there were tornado watches out, and and uh, I'm I have to stay on top of that stuff because I don't like storms. So I didn't want him to take a chance of uh, getting caught up in that, and he didn't want to take a chance of getting caught up in it. So we're we're a day late on the on the recording, but we'll we'll get with it. So with that, today's story is going to be about um, the true story of Sylvia Likens. A lot of people have heard about this. I first learned of it actually uh, by listening to podcasts myself. And I just was appalled by the whole story and how it went down and why it went down. Um, in 1965, Gertrude Banaszewski agreed to board 16-year-old Sylvia Likens and her younger sister, Jenny. What transpired from this day is a story that will penetrate the deepest depths of your soul. And again, trigger warning, uh, the case does have horrific uh, details of child abuse in the worst order and uh, sexual content. So if you find things like that offensive or disturbing, this may not be uh, the episode for you. So here is a description of the abuse that she received. She was neglected, belittled, sexually humiliated, beaten, starved, lacerated, burned, and dehydrated by her tormentors. The autopsy revealed over 150 wounds on her body, including scald marks and eroded skin. She had muscle damage, nerve damage, a swollen vaginal cavity, and broken fingernails. Her vaginal lips were separated from each other due to the severe trauma that they received, Uh, but her hymen was intact. So to say uh, that she suffered uh, is an understatement. And the people responsible for it, in my view, are complete monsters. And I'll post some pictures at the end on the website, or not our web, not the website, but the um, um, podcast. No, uh, Facebook. Oh my gosh, I lost my mind there for a minute. 
Um, I'll paste, post some pictures of it on there. The po- the pictures you can they're pretty readily available, but I'm only going to post pictures of uh, the good pictures because there's some bad pictures out there, and I just don't feel that they're appropriate for the web page. So if you want to look at those or whatever, feel free to do so. I personally don't want to look at them, and right. I I've seen them and and they're not pretty to look at. So. First, a little background on Sylvia uh, and the Likens family. Sylvia Marie Likens was born January 3rd, 1949, and was the third of five children born to carnival workers Lester Cecil Likens and his wife Elizabeth Betty Francis. She was born between two sets of fraternal twins. Uh, The first set, who is two years older than she, were Daniel and Diana, and then there's Sylvia, and then the two younger are Benny and Jenny, uh, one year younger, actually. And Jenny is one that accompanied Sylvia to stay at these um, people's home while her family traveled. Jenny suffered from polio, uh, resulted in one of her legs being weaker than the other. She had a limp and wore a metal brace on one of her legs. Lester and Elizabeth's marriage was less than stable. And to make ends meet, they traveled around with carnivals, selling candy, beer, and soda throughout the summer months, and traveled quite a lot. Uh, Because of their work, their financial status was far from stellar, obviously. The two sons uh, that they had, Daniel and Benny, they traveled with their parents um, to assist in the work. But the, the parents did not allow Sylvia and Jenny to do so because they were concerned uh, for the safety of the girls, obviously, and, you know, they wanted them to get a, a good education. So as a result, the two girls often stayed with relatives and their grandmother. During Sylvia's teenage years, she earned spending money by babysitting, running errands, or doing chores for friends and neighbors, which she often gave part of those earnings to her mother. So she sounds like a pretty good kid if she's, you know, yeah. willing to do that just of her own accord. <laughs> She was described as friendly, confident, and lively, who had long, wavy, light brown hair that extended below her shoulders, and she was known as Cookie among her friends. So, Cookie's a cute little nickname. Yeah, back then. Yeah, 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 actually. Excuse me. Um, She had a missing front tooth and avoided opening her mouth when she smiled, obviously, because it made her self-conscious. And it happened when she was playing around with uh, one of her younger brothers. They were, you know, roughhousing in the living room, and she got accidentally kicked in the mouth, and uh, obviously the the tooth came out. Um, She loved music and was very protective of her younger sister, Jenny, for obvious reasons. And when they would go to the uh, skating rink, for for example, an example of her protectiveness, is that she would help Jenny skate by holding her hand to keep her steady. So in looking at all this information so far, um, you can just see how sweet of a child she was. It just breaks my heart knowing what happened to her. I can't even begin to understand why anyone in their right mind would would or could uh, be so cruel to another human being for any reason at all. So it just blows my mind what this lady does to her. So grandmother. No, an, a, a neighbor. Oh. Yeah, this this woman, she was a neighbor. And uh, I don't think that the family, they knew her very well, but they knew her. Obviously, you know, they 
allowed them to or allowed her to, you know, watch their children. So are you uh, how, how many brothers and sisters does she have? She had two sisters and two brothers. And she uh, was the middle child. The two sisters were when at school or something. I mean, at a school. The brother, the first set of twins were two years older than she. So if she was 16 when this occurred, they were 18. So they were pretty much getting out on their own. Right. Okay. Yeah. And the two were a year younger than she. So they they went on 14 and 15. Yeah. With the carnival. Yeah. Yeah. The, The sister Jenny goes with her. The two girls go to the neighbors. So in June of 1965, both Sylvia and Jenny lived with their parents in Indianapolis, Indiana. This occurred in Indiana, just our our neighbors. And on July 3rd, um, their mother was arrested for shoplifting. Shortly after, Lester Likens had made arrangements with Gertrude Benazuski. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I apologize if it's it's not correct. Um, To keep his two two daughters... (laughs) For the weekly sum of $20 a week while he and his wife traveled with the carnivals. Gertrude was the mother of Paula and Stephanie Benazuski, whom Sylvia and Jenny had become acquainted with because they went to the same school. At the time of the request, Gertrude told Lester that she would care for her daughters as if they were her own. So here's some background about Gertrude. She was born September 19th, 1928 in Indianapolis, Indiana, to Hugh Marcus Van Fossen Sr. and Molly Myrtle. Her parents were originally from Illinois and were of American Dutch descent. Gertrude was the third of six children born to her parents and the family was working class. At the age of 11, she saw her dad die of a sudden heart attack right in front of her. He just had a heart attack and just dropped dead right in front. Six years later, she dropped out of high school to marry John Stephen Benazuski, with whom would later go on to have a total of six children. She married this guy on two separate occasions. John, with a nasty temper, would occasionally beat Gertrude. She remained married to him for 10 years before they divorced for the first time. Following the divorce, Gertrude met a married Edward Guthrie, uh, met and married Edward Guthrie. This marriage only lasted three months before ending in divorce. She had no children with him. Shortly after that, she got back together with John, and the couple divorced again in 1963 and would remain that way, remain divorced. Just after her divorce from John, Gertrude began a relationship with Dennis Lee Wright. He was 20 years old, and he also beat her. How old was she? Uh, I don't know. I would imagine right around the same age. I mean, I don't even with being married. Okay. Well, no, wait. I think her. I'm. I'm not sure. I think her husband was younger than she. At this one. Yeah. 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 The the Dennis Lee Wright. I think he was younger than her. And just a short time after the birth of their son, they had one son together, uh, Dennis would abandon Gertrude and the child. Gertrude later filed a paternity suit against Dennis for child support, but Dennis seldom held up his end of the bargain. By 1965, Gertrude lived alone with her seven children. Wow, I can't even imagine. I had one child and two stepsons, and yeah. Um, Paula was 17. Stephanie was 15. John was 12, Marie 11, Shirley 10, James 8, and Dennis Jr. 1. 
At 36 years old, Gertrude was 5'6 and only weighed 100 pounds. Wow. So she was skinny. Yeah. She was a stick figure. <laughs> Man. She was described as a haggard, underweight, asthmatic chain smoker who suffered from depression as a result of the stress of having seven children. You well, think? Yeah, really? Yeah. Three failed marriages and her failed relationships. Yeah, I could say she was stressed, but that's still no excuse for what she did. She, at the time, also had had a recent miscarriage. Uh, Gertrude would receive financial support periodically from her first and third husband, John. First and third husband. Uh, same man. <laughs> uh, but to keep things afloat, she took on odd jobs for neighbors and acquaintances, such as show sewing uh, and or cleaning. She lived at 3850 East New York Street in Indianapolis, and at the time, the monthly rent was a whopping $55 a month. Average rent for the time period was between $71 and $108, and that's an uh, average nation nationwide. So her rent was below average. So here is the story. Shortly after the 4th of July holiday in 1965, Sylvia and Jenny moved in with the Banaszewskis so their parents could travel with the carnival for income. Lester was expected to pay, again, $20 a week to Gertrude um, for the care of the two girls until they returned in November. So what happens transpired between July 4th and November. So not a very big time span. Right. During the first few weeks, everything was fine. Sylvia and Jenny received very little discipline or abuse. Sylvia uh, did regular teenage girl things of, of the time, like singing along with records with Gertrude's daughter, Stephanie, and willingly did household work. The two sisters also attended Sunday school with the other children in the house, and even the pastor of the church commended Sylvia's dedication. The abuse began when, after two weeks, the agreed-upon payments Lester was to provide didn't arrive consistently on time or would arrive late. What was it? The, the agreed-upon $20 a week. Mm -hmm. um, it would either, it wouldn't arrive on time oh. or it would arrive late. Or, uh, yeah. yeah, it wouldn't arrive consistently right. or would become, or would be late. Okay. In retaliation... Gertrude began to vent her frustration onto the two sisters by beating their bare bottoms with various instruments, such as a paddle, and would make statements like, well, I took care of you two little bitches for a week for nothing. Wow. On one occasion in late August, she beat the sisters 15 times on the back with the paddle because Paula, one of Gertrude's daughters, accused the sisters of eating too much food at a church supper. Really? So you're at a church social where the food is supplied and you're going to punish a kid because they ate too much. I don't understand that. No. And how does that affect what's going on in your home? You didn't cook it. You didn't prepare it. You didn't set it out. You didn't do any of that. Right. Did she uh, think that them eating too much made her look bad? I would probably think so. That that, her, that was her mindset. They ate too much. People are going to think that I don't feed them. Right. So yeah. it, it makes her look bad. Because she was skinny anyway. Yeah, exactly. So I consider her a piece of work. <laughs> Just let me say. 
for a better description, uh, I would say that she's a monster. Yeah, she's a monster. Cold-hearted monster. By mid-August, Gertrude began to focus her anger solely on Sylvia, probably out of jealousy, because Sylvia was young, respectable, and because she had potential. According to testimony from the trial, the abuse became more frequent and pointed at Sylvia after school and on weekends. What do you mean potential? She, well, she was smart. She was attractive, young girl. Yeah. Um, she was outgoing, lively, as I you know said okay. earlier. So yeah, her potential was there. She had potential. Okay. And I guess Gertrude felt that because of her age and her situation, that all of her potential was gone. So she was jealous and. And you would think that she would think that, you know, her own daughters had potential, but apparently she didn't think that way about her own daughter. She was jealous of somebody else's daughter, you know, so, um, yeah, I don't understand that. It has to be the beauty thing or something. Maybe, maybe, but I think it's mainly for the money, the money aspect of it from the dad. The initial abuse included beatings and starvation, forcing her to eat leftovers or spoiled food from the garbage. On one occasion, Gertrude accused Sylvia of stealing candy when she had actually bought it herself. Later, the humiliation started. It began when Gertrude overheard the girls talking about Sylvia's boyfriend she had had uh, when they lived in Long Beach, California. Apparently, the family lived in Long Beach, California before moving to Indiana. And Gertrude asked Sylvia if she had done anything with the boy. And Sylvia, being naive, didn't really understand what she meant by that. So Sylvia said, I guess so. Then she went on to explain that she skated with the boys there and had once went to a park with them. She went on with a conversation with Jenny and Stephanie and said she had gotten under the covers with one of the boys, um, or her boyfriend, rather. And Gertrude asked Sylvia, um, why did you do that, Sylvia? And Sylvia said, I, I don't know. And, you know, she shrugged because, she, again, she's naive. She's only 15, 16. And several days later, uh, Gertrude said to Sylvia, wow, Sylvia, you're getting big in the stomach. It looks like you're going to have a baby. Of course, Sylvia thought she was kidding and said, yeah, it sure is getting big. I'm just going to have to go on a diet. She then told her and the other girls in the house that whenever she did something with a boy, they would be sure to have a baby. Meaning that that's what she told Sylvia. If you do something, quotation marks, I'm doing the quotation marks in the air, people, in case you're wondering what I did something. <laughs> that's what she had said to, you know, to to Sylvia being naive, of course, you know, don't have to have. she. Meaning Sylvia, I guess, thought that uh, just by with the boy not even having sex or anything like that you could get pregnant like you know right and let me see i lost my place uh then she kicked sylvia in the genitals so she took her foot and wham right in the crotch gertrude's daughter paula who was three months pregnant at the time out of wedlock jealous of sylvia participated in the attack on sylvia uh shouted at her and pushed her out of the chair you ain't fit to sit in a chair so she and she allowed her children to participate in this. Yeah. And neighbor kids. Neighbor kids. Yes. Crazy. Yeah, that this comes. You'll, yeah. On another occasion during supper, Sylvia was force-fed hot dogs loaded with mustard, ketchup, and spices by Gertrude. Paula and a neighborhood boy named Randy Gordon Lepper 
uh, also participated in this, and Sylvia vomited as a result, and she was later made to eat the vomit. Yeah. Sylvia retaliated by spreading rumors at school that Stephanie and Paula Benazuski were prostitutes. I would have said done the same thing. I, you know, what was she to do? There's nothing she could do. Right. She, you know, was at the the mercy of of this woman and her family, and it's like I got to do something. So she spread the rumor that they were prostitutes um, because she was being singled out in the home. Obviously, Stephanie uh, was propositioned by a boy at school because of this. And the boy told her that Sylvia had started the rumor. So Stephanie confronted Sylvia about it, and Sylvia stated that, yes, she started the rumor. Stephanie punched her as a result, and Sylvia told her she was sorry and began crying. Stephanie started to cry as well. Stephanie's boyfriend, 15-year-old boy Randolph Hubbard, heard about the rumor and brutally attacked Sylvia over it. He slapped her, banging her head against a wall and flipped her backwards onto the floor. When Gertrude found out, she beat Sylvia with the paddle. Now, granted, Sylvia shouldn't have said anything, but that's still not grounds for being treated the way that she was treated. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> On yet another occasion, Paula beat Sylvia so badly in the face that she broke her own wrist, probably because the focus was on Sylvia's mouth and her teeth and eye sockets and, you know, yeah. in her, on her face. Later, after having the cast put on her wrist, she used that to continue beating Sylvia. Gertrude continually accused Sylvia of promiscuity and prostitution and would force Jenny, Sylvia's sister, to beat her as well, threatening to beat Jenny if she didn't comply with the orders. So she forced her own sister, and her sister was so afraid that if she didn't, she would get beat too. And, you know, she obviously was, she was disabled. Because of the polio. Right. So she was just mortified. You know, oh, my God, I don't want to hit my sister, but if I don't, she's going to beat me, too. You know, so she was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. This uh, next part is pretty hard to listen to. So trigger warning about sexual abuse. Hoy Hubbard, Stephanie's boyfriend, and several of his classmates visited the residence to both physically and verbally torment Sylvia, along with the Benazuski children. And Gertrude herself. With Gertrude agging the boys on, they routinely beat Sylvia up, using her as a dummy to practice violent judo moves on her, lacerating her body, burning her skin with lit cigarettes in excess of a hundred times, and severely injuring her genitals. For entertainment, Gertrude and the boys forced Sylvia to strip naked and dance in the living room and was forced to masturbate with a glass Pepsi Cola bottle. Uh, in front of everyone. Yeah. No. That's disgusting. Yes. This happened on two, they, they did that on two separate occasions. She did this to humiliate Sylvia and said to her, and said to her sister Jenny, this is to prove, oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. She said this to Sylvia. This is to prove to Jenny what kind of a girl you really are. Sylvia's crotch and genitals were thumped and kicked so much and so viciously that hardened medical examiners were later shocked by the extent of the injuries to that area. Mm. Yeah. These particular beatings probably made it hard for her to control her bladder, obviously. And when she started to uh, wet the bed, they would uh, shame her and told her she didn't deserve to live with decent people. 
well, you're the reason that I'm pissing all over the place, right. you know, I, I, and I'm the one that doesn't deserve to be with other people. Right. She was tied up and confined to the basement. She was only allowed to be out when Gertrude or the terrible horde of neighbor kids wished to beat her. She was kept naked or near naked for the amusement of the evil little, well, I put insert bad word here because I don't like to cuss, um, but you can fill in the blank if you want to. The evil little quits is what they were. They also got a kick out of making her climb the stairs so they could push her back down them, causing further injury. Ugh. And she wasn't allowed to use the toilet either. Her captors, or slash torturers, accused her of being dirty and would throw her into a tub of scalding hot water. Sylvia was eventually forbidden to go to school after she confessed to stealing some gym clothes from school because Gertrude refused to buy her any clothing. For this, Gertrude whipped her with a three-inch-wide police belt. And I happen to know what those look like because my husband is a retired captain, police officer. Uh, they're very thick and heavy. So to be beat with one, yeah, that's going to leave a mark, a big mark. Then uh, switched after being whipped with the belt for stealing the clothes, she switched the conversation to premarital sex before repeatedly kicking Sylvia in the genitals. And her own daughter, Stephanie, came to Sylvia's defense shouting, she didn't do anything. That's pretty bad. Yeah. That's pretty bad when your own daughter comes and says, well, leave her alone. She's not doing nothing. Right. You know, Gertrude then burned Sylvia's fingertips with matches before continuing to beat her. This woman, oh, I just can't. Oh, it just makes me so mad. I wish I could get my hands on her. Ugh. A few days later, Gertrude repeatedly whipped Jenny with the same police belt after she had been reported stealing a single gym shoe so she could wear it on her good foot. Terrible. That's, she's just terrible. This woman is terrible. In my view, she was a complete and total waste of space, this lady was. And I wouldn't have spit on her if she were on fire. Um, and the kids that participated in this, I mean, they're, they're just as wrong, but they were children. Yeah, they knew better, but because they were being agged on by an adult, you know, they're naive. They can be influenced. And so... They knew it was wrong. Yeah, they knew it was wrong. They knew it was wrong. Um, and they should have reported it to their parents. But there again, it makes me wonder, you know, what kind of home lives they had themselves. Yeah. You know, what were their parents like that they even remotely thought that this was appropriate behavior. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just, I, I don't know. And they participated in this stuff on a daily basis. This occurred daily. I just, I just don't know what's wrong with people. All right. Then and now. Because <laughs> stuff like that happens today. Yeah. Unfortunately. A boy in the neighborhood um, was directed to heat needles and write messages on Sylvia's stomach. He was told to write... I am a prostitute and proud of it. That was a quote. That's what was written. Actually, there's a photo out there. That's what's actually written on, on her stomach. Gertrude um, had started the message and then instructed uh, Hobbs, the boy, uh, to finish it. With this torture completed, it was then that Gertrude would release all her fury onto Sylvia, beating her slamming her head against the basement wall with such force that this is probably one of the injuries that ended her life. 
she didn't die at that particular time, but it was a contributing factor, the right. head trauma. For feel, fear of retaliation, even more so uh, than they were already getting, the two girls were afraid to notify anyone what was going on. Jenny, in particular, was scared because Gertrude had threatened her if she told anyone uh, she would be abused and tortured in the same way that her sister was. Jenny also received torment outside of the home by being bullied and sometimes beaten up if she talked about her sister's situation. So I can only imagine how difficult this was for Jenny. You know, it's like, what do you do? What, yeah. what am I supposed to do? You know, my I can't tell my parents they're not here. And, you know, if I say something, I'm going to get beaten up too. You know, it goes back to the very beginning. You know, I, I just... Uh, unless you're faced with a situation like that, you can say you would do this or that or, you know, whatever. But until you see it, experience it, you just don't know what you would do or how you would feel about it, I'm sure. She was afraid for her sister and she wanted to tell someone. But again, she was afraid that if she did, she would beat somebody. And to be that young and be put in that kind of position, I just, and to feel like you, there's no way out, you know, it just, it, uh, it just it makes me hot thinking about it. Right. I'm sitting here and I'm I'm getting sweaty because it's uh, it's infuriating me what this woman did to this girl. Well, did to both of them actually because I'm sure the emotional torment of Jenny watching her sister get beat up every day. You know, I yeah, I just yeah. I don't know. On October 5th, 1965, Lester and Elizabeth, their their parent, her parents visited their daughters at the Benazuski home. Neither of their daughters exhibited any visible signs of abuse. And I, I just find that hard to believe, especially I just find that hard to believe that there wasn't any kind of physical signs of abuse. Number one, if they're being malnourished and and starved, they would be much thinner. And if people in the neighborhood were beating them. Yeah, exactly. Right. If they were being beaten all the time, you know, there would be bruises. Yeah. So I, I don't understand that. Um, they So there wasn't any uh, visible signs of abuse or mistreatment, and neither girl hinted that anything was going on. So they, they, they didn't tell their parents that anything uh, was going on. This is probably because during the visit, Gertrude and her kids were also there, causing the girls to feel paralyzed and helpless, I'm sure. Promptly after their parents left, Gertrude turned... Uh, I know, I, I kind of carried her name out, didn't I? Gertrude turned to Sylvia and said, what are you going to do now, Sylvia? They're gone. One afternoon in September, the girls met with their older sister, Diana Shoemaker. She was married. She got, had gotten married um, at a local park. Both girls told her that the abuse was happening uh, at the home. They went on to explain that Sylvia was the target of the abuse, and it was almost always over uh, things that Sylvia hadn't done at all. Gertrude wasn't just content with the physical abuse. She would also mentally torture Sylvia by telling her that she would never get married, that the messages on her skin would turn men away. She was made to write her parents a letter telling them that she was confessing to giving sexual favors to boys in the neighborhood and that all the burns, wounds, and hideous messages on her body was because of them, not Gertrude and her family but because of the boys that she was having sex with. Gertrude's ultimate goal was to use this letter as evidence in her defense as the uh, plan, uh, as the plan was to dump Sylvia dead or alive in some remote rural area. 
And this would prove that she nor anyone else was involved or was responsible for the cruel acts committed on Sylvia. So she, that, to me, that's premeditation. Yes. It's very much premeditation. Yeah. Just talking about these uh, incidents, it, it just makes me want to scream at the top of my lungs. I'm a Christian, and I try to maintain myself in such a way that reflects that. Yeah. But with, um, with stuff like this, knowing what this woman had done, uh, I'm telling you, it would, if I saw her, I, I think she's dead now. As a matter of fact, I, yeah, she died of, of lung cancer. Good. Um, I shouldn't say that. I, you know, I, I shouldn't say that. It, it would take everything I had in me not to cause her some serious physical harm. Um, and she would not have walked away unscathed. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't let her have it. Um, <clears throat> while being bound in the basement, called uh, to investigate um, an anonymous tip about a girl with running sores on her body. The investigator was told that Sylvia was the girl and that she did have sores, but they were self-inflicted because of her uh, poor self-hygiene and that she had been thrown out of the house because she had been a prostitute. It was clear that this incident, with this incident, that the Banaszewskis had a plan to get rid of Sylvia. Again, premeditation. They had an alibi already in place and that, to this point... Uh, wasn't being questioned. Sylvia realized that her time on this earth was numbered if she didn't try to escape. She did try to escape, but was caught and beaten into unconsciousness. For a time, uh, she was treated with a bizarre mixture of brutality and kindness. So basically, she didn't know which end was up and which end was down. She was so confused, you know? Right. When Gertrude felt threatened that she would be found out, she would feed Sylvia crackers and sandwiches. But at the same time, one of her younger, one of the younger Benazowski kids made Sylvia drink urine and eat crack. He made her eat feces. What another piece of work Gertrude had created. A young child that was growing up to be just as cruel as she was. How proud she must have felt. I wonder if that same child abused their own kids if they ever had any, and I, let's just hope that if they did have kids, that he, he didn't do that. He didn't beat them. They inflicted so much pain on her and yet wouldn't, would bathe her in pleasantly warm water. And also at this time, she was allowed to sleep upstairs in an actual bed, but she was still denied access to the bathroom, being tied to the bedpost at, um, at all times. She was denied because they said she had to learn to not soil herself before she earned that privilege. Well, you're the reason I piss on myself, lady. Right. It's not me. I'm tied to the bedpost. Mm -hmm. what, what am I supposed to do? You know, on her last night of life, she had banged on the walls of the basement with a shovel. And some of the neighbors uh, thought about complaining to the authorities because they kept losing sleep over it. Uh, of course, they didn't know what it was. How awful they must have felt when they found out what yeah. was actually going on, you know? Right. Yeah. I could have called, and I didn't. And this is this is why I heard that noise. I can't even imagine. <clears throat> By the morning of October 26th, Sylvia was unable to speak intelligibly or correctly move her limbs. Gertrude moved her to the kitchen and attempted to feed her a donut. When Sylvia couldn't properly hold the glass of milk, Gertrude had poured for her, 
She threw Sylvia to the ground and returned her to the basement. Just a piece of crap. That afternoon, several of Sylvia's torturers came to the basement to see her. Sylvia moved her arms around in a jerky motion in an attempt to point at the faces of those she could recognize. So at this point, I, I, she was delirious. Um, saying things like, you're Ricky and you're Gertie. That's when Gertrude shouted at Sylvia to shut up. You know who I am. Just terrible. Mm -hmm. Just terrible. A couple of minutes later, Sylvia attempted to eat a rotten pear she was given. And she could uh, feel the looseness of her teeth. Jenny then piped up and said, Don't you remember, Sylvia? Your front tooth was knocked out when you were seven. Then she left and went to do chores for neighbors uh, to earn spending money. Attempting to wash Sylvia, a laughing John Benazuski Jr., sprayed her with a garden hose that was brought into the house by Randy Lepper at Gertrude's request. Sylvia desperately tried to leave the basement but collapsed before she could reach the stairs. As a response to her attempt, Gertrude stomped on Sylvia's head, then stood over her looking at her for several seconds. Shortly, at five, uh, shortly after, at 5.30 p.m., Richard Hobbs entered the basement and slipped on the wet floor and was confronted by Stephanie crying and cuddling Sylvia's emancipated or ema emaciated and lacerated body after she was ordered by her mother to clean Sylvia. Richard and Stephanie decided to give Sylvia a warm, soapy bath and put new clothes on her. They then laid her on the bed in one of the bedrooms as Sylvia muttered her final wish that her daddy was there with her and that uh, Stephanie would take her home. Stephanie looked at her younger sister and said, oh, she'll be all right. You don't have to worry. She'll be fine. When Stephanie realized that Sylvia wasn't breathing, she tried to give Sylvia mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, all while Gertrude was shouting in the house to everyone that would listen that Sylvia was faking her own death. Sylvia was only 16 years old when she died. When Gertrude first found out Sylvia had died, she beat her corpse with a book, shouting, Faker! Faker! Then Richard Hobbs... She told Richard Hobbs to call the police. The police were told that Sylvia had come back home from a sex session with some boys. According to Gertrude, the gang followed her back to the home, and that when, that's when they mutilated her, and then they killed her. She told them she found her dead in the basement, and Gertrude initially blamed her own daughter, Paula, and Cody, Paula's boyfriend, of the abuse. So she tried to blame the whole thing on her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend. The police also questioned the children, and they repeated the same story, wor story word for word. The detective was shocked by all of the injuries to Sylvia's body. He took down all the details, and when ready to leave, Jenny managed to whisper in his ears to get her the heck out of there. That, when, uh, that if he did, she would tell him everything. Shortly after, the monster from hell was arrested and charged with murder. Convicted and sentenced to life in prison. She appealed and was given a new trial, but was again sentenced to the same and sent back to prison. She gave many interviews to writers and journalists behind bars, but it was noted that she never expressed any remorse. She also didn't come close to offering any kind of explanation as to why she did what she did. When they asked her, why, why did you do that? She said, quote, I had to teach her a lesson, unquote, or end of quote. 
The children that participated in the, in the abuse were giving relatively short sentences. Their lawyers put most of the blame on Gertrude, rightfully so, saying that she was the only adult involved. But they still, I mean, they did get some time, but nothing like what Gertrude got. Most onlookers expected her to receive the death sentence for, what, for the acts that she had committed on this young, unsuspecting girl. In 1985, regardless of all the protests to the contrary, Gertrude was released on parole. She spent the last years of her life under a new name before dying of lung, lung cancer. So I say good riddance to you. And this concludes um, the awful, grotesque, never should have happened oh. story of Sylvia Likens. What did her mom and dad say? Uh... It doesn't really go into a lot of details about what they did. Of course, they mourned her, you know, obviously, but it didn't really say. I know. Baffling, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. That there's people out there that do that craziness. Uh-huh. Yeah. I found this to be one of the most profound true crime stories that I have ever read. And it left me shaking my head, asking myself, why did this happen? How did this happen? And what kind of person can do something like this and think that it's okay? How can a person do this and not only allow her own children to participate in the behavior, but the neighborhood kids as well? Yeah, and what did this little girl do, Sylvia, to deserve all this? Nothing. She did nothing. It was retaliation because her parents right. didn't pay on time. Yeah, I, I have no... This is my own personal opinion, but I have no respect for them either. Yeah, they did the best that they could and all of that. But I'm sorry when you go to visit a child that has been malnourished and beaten and you can't tell that your children are frightened. Yeah, seriously, because she wouldn't be saying anything. Yeah. She'd be all cowering in the background. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not like she would be all lovey-dovey and I'd been like, is something wrong, honey? What's yeah. going on? You seem very timid. And that's not like you. Right. Nothing. Yeah. I I just I just don't get it. I I simply just don't get it. There and the you know, like I said, these are these are questions that we'll probably never get any answers to. How how did this happen? You know? Mm-hmm. Well, that is the end of the story. Um I know it was a rough one, very hard to listen to. Um, it was very hard for me to put it together. I had to walk away several times, several times, and just get up and walk away. And you said you're going to post some? Yeah, I'm going to put... Like the picture of Gertrude? Yeah, I'm going to show what she looked like. I'm going to post a I I didn't see any pictures of Jenny, but there are some of, of Sylvia, but I'm not going to post the bad ones of Sylvia. Right. Like I said, you can find those online. I may post one of the words that were written on her or burned into her stomach, but I'm going to have to think on that one if I real if I want to put that one out there because it's just I I just don't know. These are things like I said that you can find online. So if you want to look at the more gross ones, that's fine. No. Okay. Okay. Um, so th- I wanted to thank everybody. I want to thank all of you for listening. Some of the stories that we tell are, are, are hard to hear, but I want everybody to uh, know that these are important stories and they need to be told so that uh, we can learn from them so they don't happen again. Mm-hmm. Learn the mistakes and, you know, uh, just the weird people 
out there. Uh, one thing that I learned from all of this uh, is that uh, unless you really know a person, you should never put your children's care in somebody you don't know that well, because you just don't know what's going to happen. When I have grandchildren, I don't have any grandchildren yet, but I hopefully soon will. <laughs> I'm going to make it a point to talk to to talk to my uh, my stepson and his wife. I almost gave his name away. I'm not going to say his name unless he says it's okay. Um, I'm going to let him know, you know, hey, you got to be really, really careful. If you don't know him and it's a little iffy, don't do it because I'm going to come get you. <laughs> With that, uh, you can follow us and like us on Facebook at the Darker Side of Things podcast page. And you can also send your comments, suggestions uh, for future shows or your own stories to be read on air if you choose. Um, you can send those to our uh, email address at thedarkersideofthings1 at gmail.com. So again, thanks for listening. And remember to avoid the rabbit holes. They're dark and they're deep. Until next time. See y'all next week. Bye. Bye.